Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. to nightlight in the daylight for those of us in the United States. It's nighttime where Graham is. I, I want to thank you for joining us today. We have an amazing book we're going to be talking about. It's called The Mystery of Doggerland, Atlantis in the North Sea, and Graham Phillips is the author of this amazing, amazing book, um, one, one which I've now read for the second time, and I probably will go back and read it a third time or so because the information in it is really quite spectacular. It talks of new marine archaeological evidence has revealed the remains of a large landmass to the north of Britain that hosted an advanced civilization, hear this now, a thousand years before the recognized first civilizations of ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, or India, remembered in Celtic legends as Thule and referred to by geologists as Doggerland or Fairland, this civilization began at least as early as 4000 BC, but was ultimately destroyed by rising sea levels, huge tsunamis, and a terrible viral epidemic released from melting permafrost during a, cataclysm pyramid, uh, a cataclysmic period of global warming. Exploring the latest archaeological findings and recent scientific analysis of Doggerland's underwater remains, Graham shows that this ancient culture had sophisticated technology and advanced medical knowledge. He looks at evidence detected with remote sensing and seismic profiling of many artificial structures, complex settlements, gigantic earthworks, epic monoliths, and huge stone circles dated to more than 5,500 years ago, preserved beneath the ground and on the ocean floor. He examines evidence of Doggerland's high temperature technology, showing how its people were able to melt solid rock into, into let me go back, they were able to melt solid rock to create vitrified structures far stronger than concrete, a technology that modern science cannot replicate. He looks at the small part of Fairland, landmass that still exists, Fair Isle, a tiny island some 45 miles north of the Orkney Islands of Scotland. And he shows how when Fairland sank beneath the waves around 3100 BC, its last survivors traveled by boat to settle in the British Isles where they established the megalithic culture that built Stonehenge. This is an amazing book, and it goes into so much detail on so many levels that it, it makes you kind of want to sit back and look at and, and research some of the material um, before you go forward. 
Uh, and, you know, that's where I am now after reading it twice. I want to go back and, and see what information I can find on some of the other material that is in here because it answers a question about the stone circles that are all over um, Great Britain and Scotland and Ireland, um, and it gives you an idea as to the people that may have been the ones that created them, but not necessarily why, but he, he gives some really good suggestions as to what they might be. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Graham. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on. You're very welcome. I, I can't tell you how how fascinating your book was and how the how the research that you did for it was was so extraordinarily impressive because it it talks about global warming and then what happens when global warming decides to go the other direction. And um I think the thing that, that I found most fascinating was that at one point in time, many thousands of years ago, the oceans um, were almost 400 feet or miles. I um, can't remember. I, I know 400. They were much, much lower. <clears throat> that was probably when the you know, Ice Age was there, but, but, the, but not the recent Ice Age, one prior to it almost, and, and how cultures built on the land that had been uncovered and then as the warming as the warming happened and the ice began to melt and sometimes in great chunks these cultures were were covered over and it's something that I think all of us have wondered you know what were the civilizations that that we we no longer see evidence of but had to have been here and your your book answers a lot of those questions yeah, and it's um, the, the civilized. I mean, there's a period of history. If we go back, say, twelve thousand years, that's when the last ice age ended. I mean, it didn't end overnight. I mean, it took sort of centuries, yeah. but that's when it ended. Before that, humans, as far as we know, were hunter-gatherers, nomadic peoples that you know lived various places throughout the world. Nobody basically lived in Northern Europe because it was too cold. And Britain, for example, was completely frozen over with ice that in, in places was two miles thick. I mean, it was like Greenland is now. And North America, right the way down to the Great Lakes, was a great big ice sheet. And then below um, the Great Lakes, and actually what's now the United States, it was tundra sort of like you'd get in siberia or something you know or northern canada i mean it was really cold and it heated up i mean it'd been cold for thousands of years but when it when the uh, the temperature began to rise i mean nobody knows quite why the temperature rose or went down in the first place but the various theories are it has something to do with the um the way the Earth orbits the Sun and it slightly changes, or the axis of the Earth changes. It's more to do with that than uh, to do with carbon dioxide building up or anything like what we experience with to do with global warming that might be happening now. So when this happened, people began to move into Northern Europe and they they began, and it happened quite a lot throughout most of the world, there was a new kind of um, historical era, which is known as the, um, the Mesolithic period. Now, this is when humans started to settle in towns and villages, fishing villages and farming villages. They began to invent agriculture. They started to grow crops, which they'd never done before. They just moved from place to place. Um, gathering the you know the food as they went and hunting, but now they started to domesticate a certain amount of animals. They domesticated dogs to help them hunt before, but now they started to domesticate goats and and they began farming. Now they were simple farms. There was nothing like a civilization that we would call a civilization like the sort you get in Egypt. That didn't really start until around about somewhere around about three thousand. BC, 5,000 years ago, there were earlier cultures that started to build things like Gebekli Tepe, which is in Turkey, 
that's been discovered to be perhaps around a thousand years, uh, ten thousand years old. But that's not really a civilization so much as they were nomadic people who came to these stone circles that they built and or temples where they would um, uh, carry out whatever rituals they did. Now, but they didn't have houses and villages and towns and all this sort of thing. That didn't really start, as far as most people are aware, until around about 3000 BC. In Egypt, as you mentioned before, in Mesopotamia, which is what's now Iraq, and uh, northern India, uh, in what's now Pakistan, in the Indus Valley. But what had happened in Britain is that when the... This, when the the, the the ice covered most of the a lot of the northern hemisphere, so much water, seawater and rainwater and it was tied up in the ice that the sea levels were, as you mentioned, 400 feet lower than they are now, which meant there was much more land that doesn't exist anymore. It's all at the bottom of the ocean, and a landmass existed that joined Britain to the continent to Scandinavia and to France, Germany. And this area was, so Britain wasn't actually an island and it was connected to um, the mainland Europe by this area, which is known as Doggerland. And people crossed over this land bridge um, and it was still there. When the ice began to retreat, it was the, 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 the it hadn't gone completely from all over the world. And you ended up with, warmer climate but still um, land between Britain and uh, mainland Europe. Incidentally in America, North America, Alaska was connected to Siberia, to Russia. You could just walk across. Uh, this is where a lot of the native people, the Americas came from originally from, uh, from Siberia and crossed over during the Ice Age and then shortly after as well. Anyway, so that's what Doggerland is. Um, and it was here, not exactly on the ma massive amount of Doggerland that connected Britain to the larger landmass that connected Britain to the continent of continental Europe. But as the sea levels began to rise from like 10,000 BC onwards, the, a lot of this sank, which left quite a large island about the size of, size of Rhode Island, um, just off the northeast coast of Scotland, um, not far from the Orkney Isles, which is about 10 miles off the north coast of Scotland. And this, this uh, island remained, I mean, the sea levels dropped, dropped, it kept warming up and warming up. And then there was a period of a couple of thousand years where this stopped and the, the ice didn't melt anymore. This particular last area of Doggerland, which was just northeast of Scotland, continued to exist and on this island, it seems that um, a civilization began. And as you mentioned, when the sea started rising again around 6000 BC, these people, their civilization was eventually swamped by the sea. And they, the last survivors, came to Britain where they founded the civilization that eventually built Stonehenge. That's the outline of it. Well, I think what what fascinated me was, among other things, they they their culture was so advanced that that it it, it seemed to be far and above what hunter gatherers were. I mean, they had stone structures, they had um, they had healers that had created medicines that are actually the base of some of the medicines that we use now today. And, you know, they, they had... Yeah. I, and, and I want to they, touch they, on the medical part because that, that fascinated me. Well, what we've, what the reason they... I mean, it's only relatively recently in the last few years that underwater archaeology has discovered the remains of this civilization. For example, uh, just a few miles off the Orkney Isles, on what was once part of the last island of Doggerland, um, northeast of Scotland, um, they discovered, with first with sonar and radar, they discovered an underwater stone circle 
Now, in Britain, the stone circle culture, called the megalithic culture, began around 3,100 years ago. Um, and it started on the Orkney Isles, basically. It didn't start in southern Britain. It started in the north on the Orkney Isles. And they, there was a stone circle there, which is about, uh, um, about 500 feet across. It consists of uh, about 50 huge stones. Um, but around this stone circle, there is a ditch and embankment about uh, 30 feet high and deep, uh, or it was originally. There's other, there were other originally, there were avenues of stones. They know they were there because they've done ground fencing radar um, geophysics to discover where the holes were, where these stones once were in, a, in an alignment. There are other nearby stone circles, such as the stones of Stenes, which is the oldest stone circle anywhere in the British Isles on land, and that's um, 3,100 BC. There's also an artificial hillock there and uh, an artificial hill, and inside it there's no burials or anything else, so it's an artificial hill built for some mysterious purpose, plus uh, many other standing stones. Now, this is known as a megalithic complex. This was the first of them on the Orkney Isles. They continued to be built throughout Britain as the megalithic civilization spread south. And eventually they built a, a, a bigger version of what was on the Orkney Isles at a place called Avebury in um, southern England. And that was about a thousand feet in diameter, stones weighing up to 40 tons. It had a large um, um, artificial hill called Silbury Hill, which is a uh, 130 feet high. Archaeologists have excavated it. They have no idea why it was built. There's nothing inside it, no graves or anything. There was stone avenues surrounding stone circles. This was the biggest megalithic complex. But that wasn't built until 2500 BC. But the very first one was built um, up in Scotland, you know, at least 500 years earlier, up in the Orkney Isles. Um, Stonehenge, incidentally, is quite near Avebury in the south of England, and that was one of their ultimate things that they built with the arches on top. Again, that was built around about 2500 BC. But going back 500 years before this on the Orkney Isles, this civilization that was capable of building this great big stone circle just appeared overnight from nowhere. Nobody knew where it came from. The kind of villages that they lived in were really sophisticated, far more sophisticated than pretty much anywhere else in the whole world that we know of. Um, they built underground dwellings connected by tunnels. Um, they had a sewage system and um, they had uh, running water. They had plumbing. They actually had running water toilets, you know, bathrooms and things way before they were built anywhere else in the world. And um, there's a, a very well-preserved village where these people who built this first stone circle on the Orkneys lived called Skara Bray at, on the Orkneys. You can go around it and see it's still preserved because it was uh, covered in, uh, there was a really bad storm like three, uh, 5,000 years ago, almost that, that covered it in sand. So it was well-preserved until relatively recently when they eventually dug it up. So this the, the people of Orkneys also, in addition to be able to build these stone circles, which would have take, should have taken years to develop these skills, um, and building these quite sophisticated villages, they also, um, what also, they also had um, pottery, which was far more advanced than anything else anywhere in the world. It was far more advanced than anything in Britain, and it took much higher temperatures to, in, uh, kiln temperatures to fire these kind of really sturdy pots. Um, and when archaeologists have excavated tombs and found these pots there, they've discovered that inside many of these pots and, uh, and utensils, there were the remains of medicinal herbs, medicinal plants, things that you wouldn't eat, but um, things that were able to, 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 to cure to control pain, like early analgesics that weren't developed again until the 19th century. Um, they found antiseptics and things for curing stomach problems and breathing problems. Way, way before the Romans later invented these things, thousands of years later. Now, what's fascinating is no one knew 
where this civilization came from. There's no evidence of it gradually building up to become more and more advanced. I mean, it just appeared overnight on the Orkney Isles as if they suddenly said, oh, let's build these buildings like this. Let's create medicinal <laughs> herbs and, and know how to make pharmaceuticals. Let's build stone circles without ever having trial and error to get to that point. So the civilization must have come from somewhere else. There's nothing like the stone circle building culture that's in Britain with all its massive megalithic complexes, artificial hills, the kind of stone circles they had. Nothing in Scandinavia or anywhere else in mainland Europe like France or, 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 or Holland or anywhere. So where did it come from? And it's only now since they found underwater stone circles off the coast of the Orkney Islands on what used to be Doggerland, one that's exactly the same as the one I've just described on the Orkney Isles. Size, number of stones, the ditch and embankment around the stone circle, artificial hillocks. In other words, this proves beyond any doubt that the stone circle building culture already existed on Doggerland before it sank beneath the sea. And still no reason for, I mean, I've heard it said that um, sometimes, well, I've heard it said of Stonehenge, that Stonehenge, a lot of the stone settings were, were to tell you when to um, harvest or plant medicinal um, herbs and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it just, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me the you know the purpose um i i've i've looked at the henges and i've looked at stonehenge and my grandfather went to stonehenge in the um oh my goodness well a long time ago <laughs> almost 100 years ago and we have pictures wow. of of him standing at stonehenge um when it was it, it hadn't been you know resurrected so to speak yet but it it does that that amount of work to put into something that huge and it can't possibly have been like a competition between villages who can build the biggest circle there has to be a better reason for it and the only thing that i can think of is that it signifies a time or a time when something should be done whether it's harvesting or planting or or what but but the standing stones all over the place, could they be marking a pathway? I mean, because a lot of those are just straight lines. Yeah, well, the stone circles that start, um, the, the, if, you may, if you look at it this way, all throughout Wales, England, Scotland, and Ireland, the whole of the British Isles, and on some of the smaller islands, by, uh, you know, within a 100 or 200 years of it first, the civilization first appearing on the Orkney Isles, it had spread everywhere. So for everyone who was basically local tribal peoples, they weren't all one nation, to suddenly decide that they're going to start building these stone circles. It's not like they're being conquered by another country who enforces their beliefs and religion upon them. They're doing this voluntarily. So it must have had some pretty amazing practical purpose. And in the smaller settlements, You've got small stone circles, perhaps only of 10 stones or something like that, that are only about three or four feet high. Uh, and there are other stones placed around the outside of the circle, like a stone that very often aligns with uh, the midsummer solstice or the midsummer solstice or the equinoxes, things like that. Um, and the larger places had bigger stone circles. The very large settlements had these complexes like I talked about before like Avebury and the one on the Orkney Isles and of course Stonehenge was like one of the last of these big ones to be built and so they uh, it has these uh, arches around it which is different to the other stone circles but what they all seem to have in common is that these stones aligned with various stars and uh, that appeared in the sky at certain times of the year like Throughout the year, the stars, well, they don't move, the Earth moves around the sun, so it seems that the stars are moving around. So if you want to know an exact time for something to, to, to happen, if you've got a stone and you stand in the centre of the circle and you've got a clear night and you can actually see, look at a stone and say, ah, that star is in that position, it, it's in the same position the same time every year. 
So some of these crops, particularly, I mean, crops that you eat tend to be, you have to plant them at certain times, but you don't have to do it down to the exact hour or the exact moment, um, which the stone circles seem to be able to allow you to do. That seems to be for the medicinal purposes. For example, certain plants produce substances which can be used for, um, for say, uh, making something that you can drink that helps your stomach. Now, this particular flowers, for example, that produce some of these um, substances, these pharmaceutical substances, only flower at certain times of the year, and they only open at certain times of the night when they release um, uh, um, fragrances that attract night-pollinating insects like moths. So... Basically, you'd need to know when this flower opens for this particular substance to be released, which is um, in order to attract moths, but this same substance they discovered were, was able to um, work with, um, to help stomachache, for example. So you need to know exactly when these moths are going to be kicking around, and you need to know exactly when these flowers open. That's why the stone circles are necessary to tell you, ah, that star reaches there, right, it's time to go and cut that. Um, the Romans tell us that even in, by the time that they arrived, which is a, you know, a couple of thousand years after Stonehenge was built, when the Romans arrived, they found that there were the Druids, who were the Celtic priesthood, who believed that they had been here when the Celts first arrived, about 1000 BC. Um, and they may have been the descendants of the people who originally built these stone circles. And the Druids had amazing ability to create pharmaceutical products from natural things like, uh, like mistletoe. And um, the, uh, the Romans tell us that they knew how to cut this at the exact time of the day and night when they, could do, when they cut this mistletoe and therefore make it into this medicinal substance in that case for inducing... Uh, sleep for um, to get rid of pain or to even uh, carry out amputations. Nothing like this was able to be done again until the Victorian times and the invention of ether and chloroform. So, and we were told, we're told how the Druids did this and they had to cut it at certain times of the year. And how did they know when to do it? Because of the stone circles and the stars that were shining over the various stones at times. So this goes right back to the megalithic period. So that's one of the pu pu purposes of the stone circles. What these huge hills were for, um, n uh, who knows? Um, what was the, the purpose of the embankment and the ditches around the stone circles? Nobody knows. I mean, they're not defensive because the ditch is on the, out is on the inside of the, of the embankment, which is the opposite way round if you're trying to protect something. So, yeah, there's, there's many mysteries about these people, but they were very advanced at the time. Well, and that, that's what, you know, blows me away, that, that, that there's no way to trace where they came from. I'm, you know, short of, I guess. Um, um, sorry, I have a cat here. Um, there's, there's no way uh. to figure out where they came from um, unless of course you go underwater but even underwater um, you know you can you can find edifices but you know it's hard to get any any sort of evidence or whatever that would give you some ideas to where they came from Be because the medical ability they had was phenomenal the way they constructed their houses um, again way beyond anything that, that had happened that, you know, was going to happen for over a thousand years. So where, where could they possibly have come from? And I, I'm not even going to go to, you know, ancient aliens or anything like that, but it just seems to me that they had to have come from somewhere. Um, but where on earth was anything ever as advanced as they were? Well, it seems that this the Doggerland area existed for a good few thousand years. The northern Doggerland area existed for a good couple of thousand years. That's the island off the coast of um, Scotland. Now, uh -huh. it could have developed there, 
Uh, I'll go back down to, to another possibility of where it may have come from originally in a moment. But fascinatingly, one last area of Gogolan does survive. What was once a very high area or a hill or a mountain to the north, very far north of Doggerland, when it, the whole area sank, this last bit survived. And it's still there. It's a very tiny island. It's not very big. It's just a few miles across. And archaeologists have been excavating up there recently since they discovered these stone circles in what on the seabed, which is part of Doggerland. So they thought, well, the only part of Doggerland to still survive, it, I mean, it was, it was a hilly area where they wouldn't have lived. But maybe when the last of the when the, the sea levels are rising, people had gone there. So they decided to excavate recently. And what they've discovered is buildings very similar to the ones in the Orkneys, like that village at Scarabray I just described. But they also found that there were these buildings. They had no idea what they were used for. They found the remains of charcoal there. So they'd been burning. They thought, were they killed? No, there was no kill. Then eventually they realized what they were. Archaeologists from Scandinavia identified them immediately as saunas. Now, this, these, now this, these ones are 4,000, at least 4,000 BC. That's 6,000 years ago. The sauna wasn't thought to have been invented until it was invented in Finland centuries after that. So they had saunas. Um, remember, they had plumbing systems and everything. So these people were extraordinarily clean. Um, what also they discovered there, and you mentioned it at the beginning, is what they call vitrified walls. They built stone walls and then somehow covered them in something that they could set light to, to burn for days at very high temperatures, to actually melt the rock so it actually fused together to create a substance um, of walls that were stronger than concrete. It seems they were building, they were creating these vitrified walls in an attempt to hold back the sea when they thought it was perhaps going to cover this last bit of Doggerland, but it stopped before the whole of the island, which is called Fair Isle, which still exists today, was, you know, before it sank. They, but, you know, it, uh, the, the sea stopped rising. And, um, but they built these, they, somehow they learned how to melt stone. I mean, that was done later by the by the Iron Age people in Britain, but they, um, you know, from around about 700 AD onwards and elsewhere um, in the world, these vitrified forts have been found, vitrified walls. But these people were Iron Age people. They were able to make much, much hotter fires in order to melt iron. That's, that was a technology that developed over centuries. But these people were still in the Stone Age. They made items out of gold and silver soft metals and they could make things out of copper but none of these these were okay for uh for trinkets and and um and jewelry and stuff like this but you couldn't make tools out of these soft metals they just bend the first tools were made out of uh, metal were made out of bronze uh which is which is made from copper and tin i believe um, and that wasn't, the Bronze Age didn't start until about 1500 BC. These people were still in the Stone Age. Um, all their, the, the, what, the, the various um, implements that they were using were mainly stone implements. Bone, they, they would use antlers from, um, from animals as picks, like pickaxes, and they would dig using the shoulder blades of oxen and cattle, so they were still using Stone Age tools, but somehow they had this knowledge of, of, of stuff which didn't come around until the Iron Age and thereafter. So it seems that might have been an early civilization that could have even forged iron that had developed all these techniques and stuff. The people that eventually built Stone Age and stuff remembered it, but not fully. Um, now, was this a civilization... There hasn't been enough underwater archaeology done yet in Doggerland to determine exactly what they were able to do there. Also, it must, a lot of it will be destroyed. It will be very difficult to, to find out. Where would it have come from if, 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 if there was an earlier civilization? Well, remember I mentioned Gebekli Tepe, which is this amazing 
um, series of stone circles that were found in Turkey, um, they date back to about 10,000, well, at least 10,000 years ago, perhaps earlier. And this is way before all this other stuff was happening. It may be possible that the people were there who seem to have completely disappeared overnight, that, that, that somehow it became much drier and less hospitable around Gebekli Tepe. So the people that lived there had to move on. This, if they had the ability to build these huge great stone circles and create statues and, and carvings which were far more advanced until anything, until the first civilizations around about you know, 7,000 years later, did they develop somewhere in maybe north of Turkey that's never been found yet? They developed a civilization which may have been able to smelt iron and do other things, and they eventually moved into Doggerland, lived there for a while, and then eventually the last remnants of them founded the megalithic civilization in, in Britain where they built stone circles. Not exactly the same stone circles as the ones in in Gebekli Tepe, and they're not as advanced as the ones in Gebekli Tepe, but they built them. So that could have been what happened. Well, I think also fascinating is that, that as as people were migrating into Great Britain um, <clears throat> early, early on, they were basically just absorbed into whatever culture was there so that, you know, there was no war there. It doesn't appear that there were any uh, until the Romans or, you know, maybe a little before the Romans, but um, they they were all very peaceful. They were all very, um, though, though crude, they were cultured in, in that, in that they did blend in and, and mingle with whatever culture was there. Um, but in, in the, in the case of Doggerland, um, the only place you, you really find, you do find circles in lots of places, but not to the extent they are in Great Britain at all. And so there had to be a reason behind it. And it, it just feels like the reason is, is, is not there any longer. Um, what, what I was fascinated with was the different forms of burials and how you could see where one, one culture was sort of overtaking another as the burials kind of all blended into a certain kind with the passage tombs and, and the uh, menherds. I always say it right. Menherds. Menherds, yes, thank you. <laughs> I look at how it's spelled yeah, and the, I can't pronounce it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 um, the, when the megalithic people, I mean, they came down from Orkneys, there were obviously people living here and they took on this stone circle culture. There was many other people, as you mentioned, began to arrive in Britain over the next uh, couple of thousand years from around about uh, 3000 BC to 1000 BC. There was a number of people arrived from other places. Um, for example, there's a culture known as the beta culture that came from Europe. They're called that because they buried their dead with a beaker, a, a, a cup. It was some ritual thing they did. We don't, no one knows what they call themselves. They came here. They had a very different, we know they're different because the megalithic people buried their dead in um, tumuli. They basically, they buried their dead um, inside. They, they'd make a little chamber inside a, um, a little hillock and they buried the dead there. When the beaker people arrived, they buried their dead in the grave in the ground, but put a mound over it, and they had these beakers. They built. Now, they kept going. <clears throat> they arrived around about 2500 BC, about the time that Stonehenge is being built, at least the Stonehenge that we now see. Um, they arrived and continued with their own customs. They continued with their own burials. If you want to know what someone's religion is like, you can always tell by the way they bury the dead. The, uh, rituals of burial are very important specifically to each individual religion and they carried on with their religion because they carried on burying their dead with beakers while the native people who were here already carried on burying their dead the way they did without so they were living side by side continuing with their original cultures 
but there's no evidence whatsoever of any kind of warfare. And there was no writing at the time, I must mention, until the Romans arrived, you know, um, and 2,000 years ago. So for a good few thousand years, there was no form of writing in this country. So we have to guess what happened by either learning what the Romans tell us about what was going on when they arrived uh, 2,000 years ago, or from archaeology, we can sort of like look and see what the people lived like. So settlements weren't surrounded by any form of fortifications. The dead don't seem to be buried in ways that would indicate that they were warriors, they didn't have any weapons, except for the sort of things you would use for hunting. Um, and they didn't, uh, there's no uh, bones or skeletons found with the kind of we- uh, kind of injuries you'd expect during warfare or any kind of aggression. So we know they lived in peace. So the Mabika people arrived, they carried on living in peace. A few hundred years after that, a culture arrived by the name of the Wessex culture. They buried their dead in a different way. They buried their dead in what they called cysts. Basically, they created a stone coffin and buried their dead in those. They carried on doing that when they arrived. I mean, these people are coming from places like um, Belgium and the Netherlands and, uh, and some of them later from Germany um, to Britain. And no one, there was no evidence of any kind of fighting. They carried on with their own particular religions or culture. We know this because of the way that they built their houses and the way that they um, buried their dead. But there's no fighting going on between these different religions, these different cultures. Um, They've all worked together and they all seem to have appreciated whatever the stone circles and all these megalithic monuments were being built for. And they all benefited from the kind of um, medicine that was available at the time in Britain. Um, And in fact, the first evidence that there was any kind of fighting didn't really happen until around about 1000 BC. And this is when a new lot of people arrived from what's Germany. They're the people we now know as the Celts. They came with, they, they came by 700 AD. They'd pretty much taken over Britain. They had iron weapons. So they were much, and they had basically learned to, they'd grown up in a warrior culture where they were fighting in southern, in, in Austria and Germany. They'd been fighting off all sorts of various enemies. So when they arrived here, they weren't all that friendly. The weather actually got much colder, so it wasn't, there was less to go around. So one way or another, people started building hill forts and tribes started fighting each other. But throughout the entire period of the megalithic culture and all those people that seem to have adopted it, like the Beaker people and so on, for, you know, for 3,000 years, they lived in peace. So this was, is, was this something about what, how, why they built the stone circles and all these monuments and the way they believed in whatever they believed in? Were people inspired not to fight each other? I don't know. And did all this start, or is this the way that the civilization had existed in Doggerland? Yeah, it, 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 it is fascinating. And, and then, of course, you get to a time where the circles are no longer built, and it feels like the culture goes downhill rather than uphill. It does, so, until, of course, the ropes arrived and they start sorting everybody out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what, what, what's really interesting is what might have happened to the people on Doggerland when their civilization came to an end. Because, okay, you've got rising seas. That's happening gradually. They're going to have to sort of leave... Um, you know, their fishing villages and they're going to have to move further inland and, and so on. But what also happened is when the great big ice sheets began to melt, uh, for example, on the coast of um, on, on the coast of Norway, great big ice sheets, um, they melt and huge great parts of the land of, of, of uh, the cliffs and the land on the coast of Norway collapsed into the sea, creating huge tidal waves. Um, so towards the end of the period of Doggerland, not only are the seas rising, but there was a massive tidal wave that probably swept over most of the land at one point. That would have wiped out a lot of people very quickly. And as you mentioned at the beginning, there was also evidence of, um, of um, terrible epidemics, pandemics, um, that were caused by, we know this happened in places like Norway and Sweden. When the 
um, when the permafrost of the tundra began to melt, it had contained, I mean, this is where now, when it melts, they find perfectly preserved mammoths because they've been in, in snow and then, of course, in the ice, and then the ice melts and they get find these mammoths and other creatures that have been there perfectly preserved for, for thousands of years. But what also is preserved in the ice is uh, microorganisms, um, bacteria and viruses that, from which we probably wouldn't have any, um, any kind of immunity. In fact, it's happening now in, in places in Siberia where the ice, where the permafrost is melting, um, various diseases are being released that have been, that have affected reindeer, killed off hundreds of reindeer and uh, seals and other creatures and not, nothing's happened that's affected humans yet that we know of but certainly back then there's evidence in in scandinavia that people were dying in droves and they were buried in mass pits at the time when the when the, the sea levels were rising and uh during the last days of doggerland sort of you know 4000 bc something like that um and so we don't know because we haven't found these graves because they're under the sea. But it seems that not only was the, 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 the sea rising, there was a massive tidal wave or a series of them, plus um, devastating epidemics. And that got rid of whatever, whoever was left on Doggerland. Or, and of course, some of them managed to survive in Britain um, and uh, eventually build Stonehenge. But, you know, as advanced as they were with, with their building of their homes and their, their medical stuff, you would have thought they would have developed in some way, shape, or form some, some way of writing or recording. And yet well, there's obviously no... They, they didn't need to, and there's also a kind of cultural reason why they didn't develop a form of writing. Um, one thing they probably did develop, because, because the whole civilization wasn't wiped out by disease, they may have found some kind of cure for it, ultimately, uh, which is why they were, some survivors were able to come to Britain. But that's another story. But going back to why they didn't develop forms of writing, we can get, when the Romans arrived, and they brought writing with them 2,000 years ago, about the time of Jesus, shortly after. When they arrived in Britain, they brought writing with them. And they'd actually started to bring it earlier, and people in Britain had started to write from about 55 BC, when uh, Julius Caesar tried to conquer the country but failed, believe it or not. It was only 100 years later when the Emperor Claudius conquered Britain. Anyway, they brought writing with them. People in Britain and in northern France and places were very, very loath to write anything down because their priestly caste, their people, their their um, their leaders were people that were known as druids, and these druids claimed that they had been here before the Celts had arrived. They're the Iron Age people who came between 1000 and 700 BC and replaced the megalithic people. The Celts believed that the Druids had been here before. In other words, they were the, the priesthood, if you like, of the megalithic people. Now, what do we know about them? Well, according to the Romans, they were the, because the, the people of Britain didn't have any form of writing, the Druids were trained from children to become these Druids. They were like sort of Buddhist monks in a way, but they were trained to become, they were both men and women in Druid sanctuaries, and uh, they married. It wasn't as if they had to live like monks or nuns. And they were trained from children to have astonishing memories. They developed monomic techniques, that's memory techniques. They also developed what sounds like some form of hypnosis, so they could remember vast amounts of information. So if a, there's a tribal area, say, and in that tribal area there's a druid sanctuary, a kind of um, a, a sort of uh, uh, a settlement where just druids are, and there'd be a few hundred of them, and they'd have families of druids, and the kids would be taught to be these druids, and they were the depositories of knowledge. They were the kind of living libraries of the people. So they would remember how to create, how to make iron by then, for example, all these various... Um, uh, pharmaceutical herbs and plants. They knew of the secrets of those. They remembered the history of the 
of the, of, of the civilization and so on. The Romans eventually were so frightened of them having so much influence over the, um, the native people that they wiped them out. Um, Roman, uh, Roman uh, author called Tacitus, who wrote around about the early uh, second century AD, talks his father-in-law was part of the Roman army that conquered Britain. And um, he talks about the fact that they were all driven out of the whole of Britain, finally into the island of Anglesey, which is North Wales, and ultimately they were slain. They were basically wiped out because the Romans knew that, that they could never conquer the Britons uh, while the Druids lived. And the, and the Druids had been so well respected and they remembered so much. And that, that's why, because they were the depositories of knowledge, it was all in their heads, that they didn't ever want anybody coming here with writing. That's why they never developed writing, because they thought it was knowledge was a sacred thing to be held in the minds of the Druids. What about the Tuatha Dé Dan? Or is that just They fate? probably are these people. Um, oh, the Tuatha okay. Dé Dan, which is, which is what the, the Irish, the Celts were in Ireland too, and so were the megalithic people before them. Um, in Ireland, in the, the, in the 400s, Ireland was never conquered by the Romans, so the Druids kept going there a lot longer. But they eventually were um, got rid of, if you like, well, uh, they phased out when the Christians took over in Ireland. Uh, Ireland was Christianized in the 400s by people like St. Patrick and so on. Um, and the last of these Druids, Excuse me, I'm sneezing. There's too much dust in here. Um, and the monks there that um, were Christianizing the Irish, who had come from Britain, incidentally, um, they wrote down a lot of what the Celts believed. They just didn't believe it, but they thought it's worth writing down just so that, you know, historians can know what these um, superstitious people, as they thought it, believed. And they talked about the legends and the myths of the Celtic people of Ireland, saying that they eventually they came to Britain, um, and when they first came, there were a people here called the Tuatha de Danu, the people of the goddess Danu, who had um, from whom the Druids descended, and who had great knowledge and were peaceful people, and so on and so forth. They were probably this was their memory, if you like, their preserved memory being passed down orally over the generations of the megalithic people that existed before the Celts came. The Celts originated, incidentally, in, uh, in, in Austria and southern Germany. Wow. What a history. And, <laughs> and you know, thinking of, thinking of what we, we like to hope we understand, um, you know, it, it's you, you. You have woven such an amazing background here for knowledge and wisdom, and where it came from. So, you know, we kind of, again, we kind of are overlooking history and how magical it is by trying to create stories that make sense but aren't true. So well, what's what you've done is, is um, go ahead. So, I was going to say what's interesting is that this isn't the only civilization that was wiped out when the sea levels began to rise at the end of the last ice age. From a, when 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 it started to get warmer around about 1200 BC, there were early early proto civilizations began in coastal areas, quite a few places throughout the world. In, in Central America, India, China, um, many places, and they got flooded, and they gave rise to the stories of the, the flood myths throughout the world, like Noah's flood and things. They probably come uh-huh. from the fact that the sea rebels rose and wiped out a lot of these early civilizations. They weren't really that advanced. They probably weren't advanced as the people of Doggerland, but they were still more advanced than anything that had happened before, and they were creating these early proto-civilizations, villages and settlements that sank. And some of these tales seem to have been behind what 
people of Central America, uh, sometimes refer to pe people refer to the lost continent of Mu, which may which was the Atlantis. Atlantis was supposed to be in the Atlantic somewhere. The lost continent of Mu was somewhere in the Pacific. Um, this may have come about because of the stories of uh, you know remembered as the rising sea levels. Mu, incidentally, might just be a, a part of the coastland, uh, period, uh, a part of the coastal area of, um, of Mexico and around there. You've got Lemuria, which is the name that's given to um, a lost civilization that existed supposedly in, uh, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, and, and then, you've got, of course, you've got Atlantis in the Atlantic. Now, my book, as you mentioned, is called... Uh, the publishers decided to call it the mystery of Doggerland, Atlantis in the North Sea. I'm not saying it was Atlantis. There was a completely separate place that may have been behind the legend of Atlantis, um, an island that existed just outside the, um, the Straits of Gibraltar in the Atlantic near the Mediterranean. That could have been Atlantis. Um, but what I, was, what I wanted to call the book was The Atlantis of the North Sea. In other words, it's a kind of story like Atlantis of a sinking civilization, which may have happened at the same time as Atlantis is supposed to have sank, but it isn't actually Atlantis. But somebody at the publishers, and I don't know how it came about, ended up calling it Atlantis in the North Sea. But I'm not saying Atlantis was in the North Sea. Um, but this just goes to show, I mean, I'll mention in quite a bit through... Throughout the book, I mention a lot of these other civilizations that seem to have sunk, including Atlantis at the same time, and suggest places where it might have been, for example, Atlantis, and where Mu might have been, or Lemuria, or these other lost civilizations that might have existed early on. But I, I think what, what is fascinating in your book, you give, you give actual physical things that might have occurred that created the myth that became these places, which yes. which to me was fascinating, because because you know there there have been there have to have been even even prior to the last ice age there had to be civilizations that rose quite high before they were destroyed and and I kind of am hoping that that eventually we will find of those particular areas as well. It just makes great sense to me. Well, if but, you've got areas um, with you know, two miles of ice on the top of it, they're going to be squashed out of existence. Yeah, that's true. But, but you know, you kind of want to know, the planet is millions of years old, and you the, the thought of other civilizations is absolutely fascinating, and you kind of want to know if they existed what what they were like and of course our imaginations then run wild and then we create these wonderful myths that there's no way to prove and so many of them have a foundation in reality and we just don't know where where the myth and and reality meet and blend or you know one leaves off and the other takes on so it, it's fascinating but i just noticed our time um your book is just something everybody should read a couple of times. This is one of the most interesting books I've read in a very, very long time, and I read a lot. So, and, and I will probably go back and read it again when I have some, some time to do that. There's so much information here, and it's so fascinating. And it does make you want to go go to Great Britain and, and take a look at the stone circles with with different visions, so to speak, because there's got to be a, an amazing purpose behind them on top of the fact that they've survived for thousands of years. So I want to thank you so much. And you want to give out, um, you know, where people can get a hold of you and your book? Yeah, uh, the book's called uh, The Mystery of Doggerland, um, and it can be got from most places, Amazon and bookshops and things. If you want to find out all about me, go to grahamphillips.net. That's grahamphillips.net. And on the first page, there's links to all my books, plus everything else like my Facebook and YouTube channel and everything else. There you go. Well, well, and, and I, I will also point out to people that you and I have talked about a lot of your books, and they're all 
an amazing read and and something that will make you think and want to dig more deeply into history. So um, we, we've done a lot of your books here. But thank you so very yeah. much for sharing your time with us again here. And um, I look thank forward you. to the next book. Thank you. You're very welcome. Everybody, uh, take, a, take a look at our calendar. We've got another really good show coming up on Wednesday. And, you know, all, all over the place here, uh, Mark and I are, are finding wonderful things to share with you. So check the calendar out on BarbaraDeLong.com. The shows are all listed there. You know where, where to tune in when you want to or where to find them in archive. But until then... Good afternoon or good evening, again, depending upon where you are in the world. We look forward to hearing from you and talking to you again soon. Bye-bye now.